2: Step on for
1: picture, first positions everyone, y'all, go!
3: And action! Hello and welcome to episode 367 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk... Filmmaking. From indie film to studio films. Iron TV and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to... Royally F them up. In our very, very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson and you are... Dom Lenoir. And we are both writer, director and producers. Uh, Dom has made Winter Ridge, soundtrack to 16, When the Screaming Starts and the upcoming The Unreason. Which might not be called The Unreason anymore, but who knows.
4: And this is Giles Alderson who has... Done. The Dare, Three Day Millionaire, Wolves of War, The Stranger in Our Bed and The Serial Killer's Guide to Life. And
3: on today's episode, we have a bumper edition, a very special uh, episode for you. It is David Fincher's The Killer and the team behind it. A killer team, you might say. A killer team, you might say. We did this with David Fincher's Mank, uh, the last film he released, and that was in uh, episode 214. Yeah. When we had on costume designer, makeup designer, production designer, and the cinematographer uh, of Mank. And this time, we also have the cinematographer. Who is it, Dom? Eric Messerschmidt. And we also have the editor. Who is it, Dom? Kirk Baxter. Who is Baxter Good? <laughs> and finally, joining us, we have Sound Mixer. Who is it, Dom? Ren Kleiss, if the Kleiss is right. Woohoo! Yeah. This is fantastic. Dom sat down with all three of them separately. Yep. And had an amazing chat. Makes up for not getting an invite on the last one, eh, Giles? Were you not there for the Mank one?
4: <laughs> I don't actually know why I wasn't there for the Mank I might have been abroad or, or filming or something. But, uh,
3: you would have been filming. I got, I got to make yeah. up for it
4: on this one, so that, that was, uh, yeah, that was exactly. nice.
3: Yeah. And Dom did this so that I was away filming. I think, again, I was in Austria. Austria. I, think was about, yeah. Austria. I did about three in a row, uh, yeah. making that film over in Austria. Mm. Um, and I couldn't be there for this one, so we role reversed and Dom's smashed it out of the park. I've just edited it mm-hmm. and it's a great episode. Who should we start without the three of them, Dom? Uh, let's fly in with Eric Messerschmidt. Let's do just that. Now, Eric Messerschmidt, um, he is a cinematographer for Mank, as we said before, and the killer. But he first worked with David Fincher on the TV series Mindhunter. Before that, he was a gaffer on Mad Men. And yep. Legion, uh, and then obviously moved into. Well, he's always been a cinematographer, but then moved into it properly on Mindhunter. Mm. That's incredible. Uh, and then obviously did Fargo and Raised by Wolves.
4: Raised by Wolves with classic alumni from the Boomakers podcast, Niv
3: Indeed, uh, who's yeah. amazing. Um, and Mank was Eric Messerschmidt's first uh, feature film. His second. Um, was Devotion which came out last year which was Navy fighter pilots uh, during the Korean War uh, which starred Jonathan Majors and Glenn Powell and also he was cinematographer on Ferrari Mm -hmm. I cannot wait to see this movie directed by Michael Mann uh, obviously starring uh, Adam Driver Shailene Woodley Penelope Cruz Jack O'Connell
4: Jack and he got the, the job because he's a driver (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh, and Patrick Dempsey um, he, but Eric probably got the job on the uh, Korean war film with fighter pli- pilots because of his surname Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Messerschmitt himself mm, but Eric is yeah. a wonderful guy yeah. he's really fun An excellent and The plane. Killer is a killer <laughs> movie <laughs> Min Dom loved watching this uh, where did we watch it? was it a BAFTA? Or was no, it, it was uh,
4: Picturehouse Central uh, for the LFF
3: Uh, Shout out to our our main man, Will Taylor. Yeah, for sorting us out. Thank you for doing that. Right, we're going to split this up into three uh, little parts here, uh, and we'll jump back after our interview with Eric, and we'll introduce the next guest for you. So, what do we talk about with the wonderful Eric?
4: We talk about working with David uh discussing lighting techniques, how to tell a story with the
3: camera. And camera as a character. Eric also talks about how they shot fight scenes, why he didn't want to let David Fincher down, and why, on film set, you need to be efficient and responsible as a cinematographer. Uh, Let's get to it, shall we? This is Eric Messerschmidt. (coughs) Enjoy.
4: So, pleasure to meet you, Eric. Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast.
2: Lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me. How are you feeling? Your film's in the LFF. You're in London. I'm thrilled to be here it's great it's it's nice to see movies in the cinema again yeah isn't <laughs> yeah. that amazing so what was the what was the the journey of you getting involved in this film uh you know what,
4: what was your process in sort of starting from pre-production to idea to you know seeing the script for the first time
2: this was well you know this movie um he sent me david sent me the script of course and i read the script and i i read the graphic novel um and, and I started to think about the film, but of course, you know, for me, it's, I, I always feel like um, it's dangerous for me to, to try to bring too much to the conversation before I spend a lot of time with the director and, and we look at locations. And so I sort of read it with an open mind. Um, and then we went and scouted, and we scouted Paris first, and then the Dominican Republic and Chicago, and New Orleans, and we sort of went on this tour together. And that's for me when the movie kind of opened up, and we started to really see what it could be and 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 how we could approach it visually and it was really time with David and time in the locations
4: so so how does that collaboration sort of start to form because you know he's, he's a director that's that's well known for having like a very distinct vision how how did what was the the kind of initial conversations about the the look of this uh, you know how you might uh, approach the lensing the the moods you know how does that process work? does he sort of send mood boards? Uh, you know i mean you
2: mentioned locations is that the kind of the the genesis of it all is, is yeah i scouting? think so and this i mean in this case I, I, every project's different uh, mm. and every project with david is different I, at this point i kn- i feel like i know him quite well and i i generally know what he responds to in in broad terms um but but the vast majority of the conversations we had together about this movie were actually about pace and scene structure mm. um where we would put the camera how we would how we'd approach the scenes, when it would be, when the camera would be fixed and sort of classical, and when it would break free, and and how that related to the character, and um, so we, you know, we had endless conversations about that, and actually very few conversations about style and and palette and Interesting. tone, okay. Um, which is, you know, I mean, when we made *Mank*, of course, we had lots of conversations about that because the film is very stylized, you know, for obvious reasons. But this film, I think it, the the imagery of the movie. As it pertains to color and and lighting, really came out of our time together, sort of looking at the locations and discussing them, but but kind of more logistically, actually than than uh, creatively. It was sort of like, well, we'll be over here, right? And yeah, of course, we'll be here. And yeah, it was, you know, it was very much a so kind of active conversation. Yeah, yeah. Does 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 your your kind of um, your gaffer
4: background uh, in lighting does that kind of heavily inform? Uh, your your cinematography, I mean, what's how, how has that Im- informed your collaboration with, with David, for instance?
2: I think you know, I I don't particularly enjoy lighting. It's not something that I, I don't walk into a room and okay. think about all the all, all the lights I could put in. In, in fact, I, I'm often <laughs> thinking about which ones I can turn off. And um, I don't, I for me, I, I can't even begin to consider lighting until I know where we're going to put the camera and mm. how we're going to approach the scene. So I. Um, and I love that about working with David is we, we're very focused on, on how we're telling the story with the camera and, and, the, character and the, the camera as a character, uh, you know, as an objective character, as a, as a subjective character in the scene. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about character point of view. And um, so those, those conversations for me, they, they completely inform the lighting. Uh, and then it's generally for me it's quite reflexive and maybe that's the gaffer background I don't know but mm. I, I you know once to sort of have a picture in my head about how we how we're putting the scene together um then I'm able to I'm able to make the lighting decisions you know and we do a lot of that together too you know we have we have conversations about color and quality of light and things like that so so
4: what was the what was the process for this one specifically in, in terms of Okay. So you've, you've looked at the locations. Um, do you, do you like to shot list? Do you like to be, I mean, you obviously had the conversations and there's the obvious places where things go. I mean, how fluid are you in terms of improvising versus, um,
2: you know, planning? Well, I think that um, you know, you have to be very supportive of the, of the actors and, and, um, you know, the actors need time, particularly in dramatic scenes where there's dialogue to rehearse and, and, you know, it has to feel real, I think. Mm. So, um, we generally don't shot list unless it's a, you know, a very specific action sequence. We generally don't storyboard. We might sketch something. Um, But David and I tend to quite, we we speak quite quickly with each other and and with very, very few words. So it's sort of, yeah, over here, right? We'll shoot a long lens here and then we'll get an over the shoulder and we sort of like break it down quickly. Um, We generally kind of just remember, I think, how Mm -hmm. we were going to do it. I mean, the, the scenes aren't, in this film, aren't particularly complex in terms of coverage the way they were in Manic or even in Mindhunter. You know, they're they're simpler in their mm. layout, um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a lot of it is built around the character action and what you know what obviously what the the audience needs to see in the frame. <laughs>
4: Yeah. I mean, was there was there a particular texture you were sort of thinking as well because it's it's quite a dark, you know, it it is a serial serial kind of yeah. <laughs> serial hitman yeah. in, in this film. Like I mean, in looking at that kind of, you know, the filmic
2: grain, uh, how did you kind of begin that conversation as well, well? I think we we wanted the movie to have a kind of a dirty almost paper feel to it like it didn't have mm. um so the, you know there's there's lens flare in it, there's smoke, there's there's grime there you know there's grain like you mentioned it's it the movie is um has a has a kind of dirtiness to it and it you know a lot of it is underexposed intentionally and so it's not really intended to be super slick hmm. um and but but we wanted each location to have a distinct um sort of different palette and we you know i remember when we were scouting the dominican republic uh you know david said i want the i want it to look humid Mm. You know, the image needs to look humid. So we explored, you know, explore different uses of filtration and exposure and to sort of bring that. In. And then that became a conversation around all the other locations as well like how do they feel
4: yeah because i mean the 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 location at the i won't do go go into any spoilers but the new york <laughs> i mean it, you you really do get like a very frosty yeah. feel i mean actually all, all of the locations feel wildly different not just because of the time of year but because of uh you know the way that you you've shot them i mean was that was that informing the way you were framing and the camera was moving as well based on sort of where where you were in the story
2: yeah i mean we we like the idea of uh you know the the film is very much about process i think about mm. the character's process and um you know how someone prepares for their mm. for their job um and and so when when our character when when michael's character is you know he's he's someone i think who's always sort of in control and when he's in control yeah. the camera is in control right. I mean, the camera is yeah. you know in lockstep with him and it's very precise and the movement is precise and we don't move the the camera very much and it's very kind of structured mm. And then when he's not in control, the camera breaks free a little bit as well. Yeah.
4: Yeah. No, I noticed that at the start when he's in Paris and he's he's kind of staking out. There is like that you really do get a sense of the the deliberateness and the preciseness from everything from his stretching to the, the sleeping and the patterns. Uh, and and it does. It, it does definitely inform a very meticulous man. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously things start to
2: kind of unravel in the middle. So that at that point you're moving into more energy, I suppose. As well. Exactly. Yeah. It's all sort of it's meant to. To mirror his state of mind, almost. Mm. Yeah.
4: So, what is it? I mean, obviously, you've you've got these these collaborations with these brilliant people. What is it in a script that you look for when when it first comes to you to think you know this this is really grabbing me? This is kind of w- what interests me, and in, you know, from a visual perspective.
2: Well, I, you know, I I actually I I look for the the unexpected, mm, the unexpected conclusion, the um, the different take on. On the classic archetype of you know characterization or, or um, uh, you know what you know and something that is different than the expected outcome of of a scene I guess mm. but but to be honest with you um, I I try not to judge my interest in a project on the script I, I really I really want to meet with the director and discuss the film with them right. and, and learn what's what what vision they have because oftentimes that. That is what draws me into the into the story, mm. you know. If they if they have a a, a particular point of view that that um, uh, a particular take on how that story might be uh, might be presented that that is different than mine or or um, or unexpected, that's really exciting to me. Yeah, because I
4: suppose I suppose you're buying into you know the world building and you know the director is is at the helm of all of that for so, sure so it's it's just as important to have a good script as it is to have a a very good collaboration and, and i sp- suppose know where you're going so that it's not going to be an, an average film or
2: or something that doesn't kind of get you creatively excited yeah no absolutely it's it's the you know for me the director um is everything <laughs> Really. Yeah. Did did everything go to, to plan on the shoot? Were there any like were there any
4: sequences that you found particularly challenging on on the killer? Well the the fight scene in particular was challenging. Is that the Dominican Republic one? Yeah, when, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean that was crazy. I mean as an audience it was I mean it was just pure adrenaline like, you know, for that first sort of half of the film it is so um you you really are in there with the, with the guy going through all these things and that scene especially was just such high energy so, yeah
2: so so what were some of the the difficulties that you sort of faced with that well i think you know oftentimes in a fight scene we we deliberately confuse the audience with lots of handheld shaky camera and long lenses and it's sort of you um if the if the audience is disoriented you know that can be a tool that's used to to create tension or create excitement in a fight scene. Mm. And that was not something we wanted to do with this scene. We wanted the audience to be right there with us geographically in the space so they kind of learn where he is in the house. And it was something mm. David had mentioned to me early on in that process. He said, I need the audience to um, learn. They, they need to discover that that the killer has reached the gun where he dropped the gun at the same conclusion that he does. Yes, and so they have to have a they have to learn the layout of the house as we go through this, mm. even if it's subconscious. Yeah, and so and actually
4: you do because I mean yeah. from everything from going up the stairs and then going back along the stairs and then you see his sort of point of view going past the bathroom and then seeing the kitchen. Um, I, I feel like that's I feel like that's somewhere where a lot of newer directors go wrong. Actually, is not establishing the geography of right. a scene or, or it could even be just part of the you know the Hollywood blockbuster okay we can cut this moment we can cut this moment but as soon as you lose the audience's coherence they're not invested anymore and they're just sort of you know they're they're stuck in the middle of some hectic
2: action right yeah I mean it's you know the, for me it's the 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 tumbling things in the frame don't that's not really cinema <laughs> no. you know um no. but if it's if you're along if you're you're being led along a path and there's visual subtext in the scene then it's really interesting and Mm. that that was something that we were really trying for so we were really focused on screen direction and um and composition there to make sure that the audience was with us you know you know they're they're witnessing the fight which is horrific but they're Mm. also learning subconsciously about the layout of the home Mm. so what was some of the grip gear you used to shoot that sort of sequence in particular well it's there's actually all of that sequence was done on the dolly on a head. It was traditionally. Oh, okay. And the um and the handheld nature of it um has been meticulously that's, that's really interesting done later. Really, oh, really yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah. We we experimented we did I shot a bunch of tests handheld and we looked at it and we ended up using that and tracking my handheld action into those scenes in some se- in some cases. But yeah. for the most part, you know, it was uh I, I think it's fascinating to take take the audience from a static place and then add a little shake and then freeze it for a moment and then add a little bit more shake and you can really meticulously uh, adjust it to the to the moment in the scene you know you can once the once the assembly is there you can you can art direct the 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 camera action in a mm. way that you can't do if you shoot it practically that way you know no it's very difficult to think about the structure of the scene in a meticulous way um, you know, as it pertains to how active the camera is on on the operator's shoulder. Yeah. Um. So that that was something that we hadn't... Well, we did a little bit of that in Mindhunter, actually, but but a lot here. So, so how, how long were you shooting that sequence for? God, I think it was 10 or 12 days. It was quite a bit.
4: Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's, that's, that's amazing. I mean, you know, it does... It gives the illusion of, I suppose, not a not hand... But it, it does give you the illusion of a very well-shot handheld... Sequence that that feels frenetic amongst the. I mean, I'm, I'm never. I'm in the action. I'm not necessarily thinking. Oh, there's a there's a you know a, a very well thought out camera move here. You're, yeah. So it's, it's a it's a very good you know achievement what you've done with the scene. Oh, thank you. Um, there, there was another shot actually that that kind of it was. It's not the most remarkable shot necessarily in the film, but it's it's him in the the lockup, and I, I think it's like a sort of a dolly shot, and it starts with. Um, sort of panning across and then it cuts across um i think it's like you know the side of the the bonnet and then it goes it, it continues the shot of the the shutter coming down in close up oh yeah and it it's like that shot out of everything like really really just I was like it, it's just so seamlessly smooth and it's blending two shots together and you could have just done the dolly on the wide but it gave it something dynamic um and something really interesting
2: yeah i mean we we're always trying to i think Shoot less coverage if we can and simplify. Mm. Um, and there is a bit of w- winking we're doing to each other sometimes. Of you know, can we hide a can we hide a cut here? And you know, who will pick up on it? Things like that. I, um, you, you know, it's I like that playfulness that that we we have sometimes when we're on the set. And we're like, well, what if we just did this? So, mm. so that yeah, that's a good example of that. But you know, there is um, you know we're often shooting with two cameras and shooting two cameras at the same time and. You know, walks out of one frame and into the other and the sorts of you know, there's there's a you know, we're always trying to trying to outsmart each other. You know? well, <laughs> <I> guess <laughs> So
4: how how did the relationship sort of begin with you both? Like how how did you first meet? What was it that first sort of ignited this this great collaboration?
2: Oh, I don't know. I mean I well, we I I met David on on the set of um, Gone Girl, it was the gaffer, Gone mm-hmm. Girl. Um, which uh Jeff Cronowith was shooting, who's an incredible mentor of mine and um, and, uh, you know, I, I was really fortunate to spend a lot of time with them on that film, obviously, intimately, um, mm. you, you know, creatively and, uh, logistically, of course. And yeah. so, you know, I got to know, I got to know David there. Um, and then he called me to, to come do Mindhunter as, as a DP, which just, uh, it really changed my life. Wow. Um, and then I mean, we just I mean, that, have been that, working it was an sense. amazing
4: amazing call. It was,
2: yeah, <laughs> very cool. It was very cool. Yeah. I, I mean how how does that how does that happen? Is
4: it because you're you're sharing you know you you're sharing that you know discussions about lighting and you realize you're on the same page like what was it that made him think of you sort of after that collaboration? I don't know.
2: You'd have to ask him. I yeah. <laughs> I, I I think you know I mean uh oftentimes when David and I go into a location um we we just sort of wander into the same corner and look at each other and say, "Oh, from here, right?" You know, mm. it's we're very much. I think it's being congruent, naturally congruent. Yeah, I and yeah. I mean, I, it's also you know, it's the cinematographer's job. I think to learn about what the director responds to, and yeah. you have to kind of fit into their machine. And um, you know, I've been fortunate to to have been invited to join David. So it you know, on uh, the last couple of projects, so it's you know, it's, yeah. I'm thrilled to be there.
4: What, what was it like doing that first film as cinematographer with him? I mean how how was that for you as a sort of uh being in that moment? I mean was it was it I suppose it'd be quite intimidating I guess to or, or were you just did you feel at that point the relationship was so strong that you you felt quite comfortable making that sort of leap across?
2: Well, I you know, I think you're I mean David is an incredibly inspiring person to be around yeah. and um and you um in my case anyway, I just I didn't want to let him down, you know. Oh, yeah. I wanted to, um, I wanted to do a good job and 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 do good work. And I, you know, I knew what a blessed opportunity it was, and mm. wanted to take advantage of that opportunity, obviously. And um, but you know, at the same time, you know, David can be an intimidating person to be around, and I, I sort of made a promise to myself that I would, Not if I disagreed, I, I would, I would, I would yeah. speak up. You know, yeah, sure. Um, and I think that's been a good thing in our relationship. Has always been saying, "Hey, you know, what about this?" And you yeah. know, he either, he'll either say, "No way," or "Absolutely." You know, so it's it's yeah. it's been good. Yeah,
4: yeah. I suppose you need that openness, even for someone that is a, a you know a very much an auteur for a collaboration to sort of flourish.
2: Yeah, and it has to be you know that that also keeps it fresh and interesting for me too. You know, it's, yeah, um, yeah. Well, what were some of the differences
4: between how you shot that and and how you approached this, in, in terms of the the look?
2: Well, I think. It's, um, I, I try not to. I mean, even though the, the projects I've done with David tend to be, they tend to be called stylized or they tend yeah. to, I mean, people, I, I try not to, to push it too much. Like, for me, it's always, it's always responsive. It's always reflexive. It's like, okay, what does the set offer? What's yeah. the natural lighting in the set? What does the environment look like? You know, for me, Paris always looks blue yes so um so pairs should be blue uh, you know if, yeah, if yeah. i try to do something that it's not it always feels wrong so yeah. you know i I, th- I think it's it generally just kind of flows i try not to overthink it and you yeah. know yeah do, do, do you think there's i mean if, if
4: you could maybe condense down to one or two bits of what, things that you feel like you've really learned from the start of your collaboration with him Uh, Up until now, you know, do do you know maybe how your art has changed or what you've, you know,
2: improved as a a cinematographer or changed, maybe not improved? I mean, I think you are, there's a lot of noise in the filmmaking process. You know, there's an enormous amount of um, uh, questions. There's uh, immense time pressure all the time. Yeah. And I used to worry about that quite a bit. And you do have to keep your eye on the clock and you have, you know, you mm. have a responsibility to the production to be efficient. And Yeah. Um, but I think my time with David in particular has has, has taught me so much about that That the only thing in the end that really matters is what we capture. Yeah. And, and you really have to protect that with your life because you end up, you know, watching it in cinemas for... Yeah. years later and and so you know everything leads to that and so if you can be more efficient if you can be more responsible and get what you want then you'll yeah. get more and yeah learned a lot about that from david for sure Brilliant.
4: We, we have got to wrap up now but just one very quick bit of advice to your earlier version of you trying to break into cinematography or or even lighting like if you had any advice to give yourself
2: back in. um it has nothing to do the do with the equipment ignore all that yeah equipment doesn't matter uh, focus on the story and, and, and focus on the character and, and, and the movie will come. And find good collaborators. And find great collaborators, yeah.
4: Thank you, it's been a pleasure. A really great chat.
2: Likewise, thanks so nice much chat. for having me.
3: Oh, wasn't that a treat? What a, what Dom a, chatting with Eric Messerschmidt. What a delight. The it really was. Mm. I've really enjoyed what he had to say. I enjoyed it last time with Mank as well, and this time even more so. I felt like he, you know, went into more detail with you, and yep. I found that really interesting. Mm. Some great questions. What I thought was really fascinating is um, when they talked about how they shot the fight scenes. Mm. That was interesting.
4: Yeah, the fight scenes. Were, the fight scenes were, were really, you know, it, it really surprised. I mean, it didn't surprise me, but you know, he's a Pincher's a very meticulous guy, but like how many shots um, and how complex the actual piecing together of that fight scene in in the main condo, like one of the biggest fight scenes in, in, the, in the film. You know, they really map out the geography of the place, make sure that that's really clear in, in, in um, you know, how, how the setup is for the fight scene. The whole thing is like very well thought out so that it has its own story Uh, fascinating
3: it is fascinating i think how fincher makes his films is incredible Mm. Uh, the killer is out now on netflix by the way if you've not seen it in cinemas Mm. put a contract out
4: on your subscription to watch
3: it it's really worth it i mean it's fincher um so you know what you're getting but it's just something really weird and cold and odd about this film Mm. it's almost as if The Zodiac made this movie. If you know what I mean, it's like Fincher's The Zodiac. Then went, I'm going to make a movie, Mm. just to wind up Fincher. I don't know. There's something magical about it. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. Uh, As your lawyer, you're not blamed. Fincher was not responsible for any murders, as far as we know. As far as we know. Um, All right. Well, let's get to our (laughs) second guest of this podcast. This very special The Killer Mm. episode. Who should we have next, Dom? Let's have Kirk mm, Let's have editor Kirk Baxter mm. um, What did you talk about with Kirk? Why he wanted to make The Killer
4: We talked about the, the n- extreme nuances In the micro-acting of Michael Fassbender And mm-hmm. we also talked about what he looks for as an editor
3: Yeah, and also what I really enjoyed is wh- wh- What you talked about was What he starts with You know, when he gets the rushes straight mm. away Uh, And why he shows David Fincher early cuts. Uh, And he also gave some amazing tricks and tips as well uh, as an editor. So he's also uh, a producer as well, is Kirk, or he's certainly co produced. um, But I mean, pretty much worked with Fincher for, yeah, since the Zodiac in 2007. Uh, He's then did The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, um, The Social Network, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, um, Mank now the killer. House of Cards. Yeah, House of Cards uh, and also Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. So it's like the Fincher world all these guys live in and, and they don't, they don't need to do anything else it's kind of like okay well I'll do the next Fincher film in a year or two years well, why would you
4: bother no. yeah why would you bother you want to stay in the Fincher yeah. club
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you do the fight club of Fincher club yeah. but interestingly Kirk just did edit Dumb Money yeah um, one of the classic episodes Lauren Shooker Bloom yep. Rebecca Angelo Aaron
4: Ryder and
3: Teddy Schwartzman and oh, Teddy yeah. Schwartzman yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, talking about Dumb Money, and that was episode 360, so literally seven episodes ago. Mm. Uh, Go listen to that. It's fantastic. If you've not seen Dumb Money, it's great. Mm. But anyway, we're here to talk about The Killer, um, Kirk Baxter. So, before we press play on Dom and Kirk, why don't we press play on the trailer for uh, The Killer? Now, Why don't we? Why don't we? (laughs) Um, So, The Killer is about...
4: A contract killer. Who go i mean i don't the the thing is if you you actually say more than the contract killer then you you kind of give away the plot because the the plot is basically about his contract killings and the shenanigans that ensue when things don't go quite (laughs) slam Um, that's perfect that's probably enough because otherwise more than that would would spoil it so (laughs)
3: the shenanigans that ensue (laughs) As typical Fincher Synopsis for you Um, Right let's play the trailer And on the other side of that is Kirk Baxter uh, The amazing editor Mm. Uh, And then on the other side of that Me and Dom will join you again For our final guest So sit back relax and enjoy Dom's chat with Kirk
1: Stick to the plan. Anticipate. Don't improvise.
0: Stick to your plan. Never yield an advantage. Stick to the plan. Fight only the battle you're paid
1: to fight. Ask yourself, what's in it for me? Stick to the pleasures. Uh, Empathy, uh, weakness, uh, vulnerability. This is what it takes if
4: you want to succeed. Simple. Hello. I look at this, it's like a dance floor. Yeah, well, you're welcome to, you're welcome to give a go. Hello. Dom. Sure. Yeah, nice to meet you. Do you want a glass of water? I'm okay. Thanks. Yes, you're good. Okay. Would, you, would you like a ginger shot? We're doing shots. I've been hitting quite a few of those, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you. You're in London, you just had your film at the LFF. How are you feeling? We
0: went out afterwards... Think I had um, four drinks. Okay, and I, I feel
4: completely fine. I'm surprised by that. That's amazing. Yeah, maybe it's the maybe it's the buzz of the film or the two coffees. Yeah, <laughs> it's always it's always the coffees that they're yeah. the kind of the lifeblood of us of us creatives. So, um, how did it how did it begin? Um, you boarding this project? David told me about it uh, quite a while ago. Mm. Um,
0: before we did Mank. Right. Um, he's oh, okay. He, so it's been in the it's been in the pipeline for a while. Uh, yes, he he sort of pitched it to me and it's not like he was trying to convince me to do it. I think he was actually having a dress rehearsal for himself or caught up in his own enthusiasm, <laughs> but he, he, sp- he spent a good 45 minutes um, telling me all about the movie and, and I was very excited about it. And he said, I'm going to send it to you. And I was like, terrific. Can't wait to read it. And I remember I was on a long flight. David sent me the script. And I was, And I sort of set aside the flight. I wasn't going to watch a film or anything. It was like, oh, I get to read this movie all the way there. Yeah. And one of the key things in my mind was that it's a study of an assassin that's barely going to speak. And there's hardly any lines Mm. of dialogue in it. Yeah. And I start reading and he'd sent me Mank and he never pitched Mank to me. (laughs) it's <laughs> so slightly, slightly different film i'm but... like 20 30 pages into this and i'm like um, what's with all the talking
4: yeah and i'm <laughs> like when when is he going to start killing these people yeah uh i, I think <laughs> i think a lot of independent filmmakers would would, <laughs> would classify that as a small problem being sent mank rather than uh <laughs> to the killer. but it did actually make
0: the first reading of Mank pretty tricky for me,
4: right? Okay, because you, you'd you'd framed it in a different way with your expectation. M- my and-
0: expectation was expecting something completely different. I yeah. was waiting for this thriller, yeah, waiting for Mank to start. And I started start letting to sort of through. speed read it a little bit, going,
4: ah,
0: I'm I'm lost, I see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I had to kind of let a lot, a bit of time pass, mm. and then return to Mank at a later stage with intention, and
4: kind of go, let, now let me appreciate this. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? How So, so small a bit of information can really inform the way that you frame that first read of of a script. Or the power of a trailer. The power of a trailer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's fascinating how those, I mean, sometimes it can even be on the other end of things when someone tells you, oh, this film's, this film's good or this one didn't quite do it for me. And then you go in in a film that you might have loved or you might have hated and you, you, you kind of flip that expectation. So it's, it's interesting how those things, you know, still, Still haven't have effect. So okay. So next next step, you actually do get the script. That's a, some other point. In well, time. A, th-
0: a thriller for me—they're the things I want to watch.
4: Okay. Like at the,
0: I mean, obviously, something you want to watch is hopefully something you want to make. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to make anything David's doing. Yeah. Uh, but when it's that sort of you know Oscar voting season, yeah, and there's a yeah. hundred movies in your now they're on an app and not so much in your mailbox. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of stuff to consume. Yeah. I kinda go straight for all the thrillers. That's yes. where I'm at. That's yeah. what I like to do. So Dave doing a, a movie of this tone is a a fastball straight over the plate for me. Yeah. Like no brainer. That's that's the thing I want to get involved in. And it's an intriguing movie because there is a simplicity to it. It's it's sort of Uh, you know, assassin revenge film. Mm. It is a straight line. Yeah, its its uh, plot is not complex, but I call it a highly polished straight line. Mm. And it's the approach of how it's presented that um I think I don't want to say separates. That's for other people to judge. But it is the
4: yeah. Well, but it it is, and I I don't don't think there's many you know directors or or teams that could make you know, a film that has this kind of storyline and make it as engaging and thrilling. And I mean, obviously the, the acting is, is a massive part of it as well. You've got Michael Fassbender who is, you know, born to play that kind of character. He um, does so much with so little. I don't mean yeah. so little in terms of how it's been written or
0: something, but yeah. but he's got a... Lead the way without words, and and it's these slightest gestures. Um I was just saying how much I enjoyed watching it in the London Film Festival on such a large screen mm. with an with an audience that was very much in in step with it. Like mm. there was a great oh yeah, yeah feeling in the room. It was
4: it was pure adrenaline. Yeah, like, you know <laughs> it was it was just...
0: there was there was a scene with um in the bathroom with Dolores kind of. Begging for a wife. That was the secretary of the lawyer. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And as she's sort of explaining um, how her demise should come, you've got Fassbender listening slightly ahead of the information, but but giving these very, very small gestures. And when they were that size, for me, seeing them that large, I was thoroughly enjoying um, just by the subtlest cues that he does – of like his speed and intelligence and how he's telegraphing something mm. in the smallest mi- most minute ways
4: and that's actually one of the most fascinating things i think about the you know the film and the performance is he doesn't you you, you know as an audience you're you're just really desperate to know what he's thinking you're waiting for him to reply and he doesn't give it or or he gives you just these tiny slivers. And I wonder if that's, you know, I, I you know, I suppose as a, as a filmer, I, I, I think, okay, is it, is it that he doesn't want to give false hope to people that he, you know, he, he knows that he has to kill. He doesn't want to, you know, go down that road. Um, but that, that's very evident in the performance is that the, he, he doesn't give much away. Uh, and I mean, he kind of explains himself in the beginning. Yeah, yeah with, his, with his, sure is, his rules. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So sure he's in a sort of monologue of how
0: he, um yeah survives the work
4: that's it yeah
0: yeah i mean a great example of it is again dolores because she's probably one of the most challenging characters because yeah. it's almost she represents the people yeah. even though she was participating yeah. in something a little bit sinister she was on the edge of it yeah um and his indifference even to her yeah is you know might be hard to consume for some people it's fine for me
4: yeah but
0: <laughs> <laughs> but when she's when she's says <laughs> when she says in the van you know i'm I am not a bad person. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and that, to that me, was interesting, yeah. The yeah. joy of it is his reaction. Yeah. And and it's you know, he's like what? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> yeah, he's just yeah. not interested in that yeah, little cause, morsel cause I, of I,
4: information. I suppose for him it's like, well, you know, if I leave someone alive they they could incriminate me, my I go to prison. You know, it can't be done. It's, yeah. It's just you know, there's yeah. a sort of What is your process? I mean, do you do you always try and get the scripts ahead of it being shot before Coming on board or, I mean, I, I'm uh, guessing you like that process rather than, okay, we've shot the film, have a look. Uh, no, sorry, but, you know, have a look at the rushes and then join us in, in sort of post-production.
0: Yeah, look, all that matters to me once we're um, making the movie is what David captured. Mm. So okay. I will read the scene again of whatever scene I'm about to build so that I understand um, the blueprint of it. Mm. Um, you know, what its intention is. But then it can be thrown away in a lot of ways. It's really just how because David can evolve beyond what the script was based on a location or how actors, yeah, performing something. Or he'll recalibrate
4: and readjust. Or, yeah, and yeah. and also he he has such a distinct vision in in all of his films. I imagine that you know if you if you gave you know any of the scripts that he's done to generic filmmaker. They would probably do it quite straight down the line, whereas whereas he does imprint so much of his own, um, I guess his own styles, his own thoughts, his own sort of methodology, that it becomes. I think its it's own the, thing.
0: that's what's fun about cinema. It's not. I mean, I, I do not even know if generic. It, it, but yeah. it's more yeah. you could give it to the same subject matter to any to two different filmmakers, that's and you're true. getting different results. Yeah, um, and you could probably say the same by bringing in a different cinematographer or a different film editor. And, you know, it's the responsibilities we have in these crafts that like I sort of worked out a long time ago, as clever as David is, like anything that I dish up to David, he's going to have input on it or he's going to be able to improve what I show him, but he's always improving what I show him. And if I don't, if I, there is an enormous responsibility to sort of
4: offer up something
0: that's worthy of sharpening
4: yeah sure understood so so how does that first um assembly slash edit work in your collaboration with him
0: uh i try to um i mean i feed him every day when he's shooting like he's oh, okay yeah so, he, so you're yeah, working see, on the
4: shoot basically and you're
0: i'm not physically yeah. there no. but but we are um communicating every day mm-hmm. but it's very very short it's texts, or i'm just sending things via um, the platform pics yeah um and david likes this. He likes to be able to sort of see that he's okay, that it's coming together um, as planned. And, and a big part of that is he wants to know if he needs to go back and pick something up. Yeah, sure. Um, that's when it probably can be the most stressful for me, because mm. there's a time element involved. Yeah. And
4: it's it's, it's an expensive medium. Yeah. And, and it's, was- it's the Hollywood machine, isn't it? So, you know, if you miss something or you don't, don't quite get it there in time, he might have to go back to yeah. You know, no, Dom- it, Dominican Republic or
0: whatever. I'll be in a position where, um, see on the producer is saying to me, we're holding this actor until Dave knows that he's got the scene, right? Until he sees it cut by you. Yeah. And we're holding the set. We're not striking it. Um, it costs X amount of dollars. Yeah. And we're good to hold it until this day. He needs to see the cut. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, so you you, you, gotta, get, you get the cut done. Yeah, no, it's like uh, it's it's dance. Yeah, dance,
4: man. So, so what's the sort of extent of coverage that you you received on on this one? Um, I mean, how how long was the? I mean, how much was the footage basically? I can't remember, but it's always extensive. Yes, it's always. Yeah, cause deep. He like he likes he likes to cover things a lot, doesn't he? Yeah.
0: It's, I mean, there's a lot of misinterpretation in the past with Dave in terms of takes. The Really, the volume is based on angles. Like, mm. he does a lot of coverage. Oh, I see. Which it. I okay. think is what makes Dave's movies exciting to yeah. watch and yeah, yeah. absolutely exciting to make. Yeah. Um. That's my favorite part about doing David's films mm-hmm. is, is that you can interpret them a lot of different ways of how to tell something because you've got that coverage. Mm. Um. So, I don't know, they're always, I think this one was a bit m- more difficult than ones in the past. It's strange that I think once you've watched it, because it is a straight line in mm. terms of the plot, um, there's a, I guess, I think if we're doing our jobs well, things should appear to, to be simple. Um, But it was a challenging movie to make. hmm uh, from my perspective, because y- you are showing an expert, um, you know, on the fringe of society. Yes, but he's still a person that's that operates with precision, mm. and you, you're trying to illustrate that by showing precision. And it um it's just a lot of fiddling to make things seem easy.
4: What was it? Was it a challenge to kind of balance that meticulous? Um, very contained very sort of static uh elements of his character with the nature of some of the more fast-paced actions that he has to kind of go through with his you know his fighting and that the you know yeah
0: there was a few tricks that we would do like it, it when it's um his process it's not that we would be slow we would just be uh intentional intentional yeah um and the camera was always very, very either locked off or if it was moving, it was extremely smooth. Mm. And there's usually a few, like two cameras shooting at the same time. So continuity can be, you know, you can kind of like cut like butter through a lot of these scenes. Um, but when it would get into action, when he wasn't in control, the tempo would change and it would, it, you know, explode into. Action, but we'd also add camera shake to all of the shots, and all of that it sort of starts to work in a subliminal way. Instead of things being smooth and, and you know, really st- studied, it, it there's a pulse that happens beyond how sort of quick cutting I get. I start to clip the action hmm. when he gets his bell rung. And it will jump cut a little bit more, and mm. that the exacting nature of how he's presented and controlling his world erodes.
4: Yes, yeah, yeah. that because like the first, the first sort of half an hour hour, all of the the Paris stuff, it does have a, the a rear window. Yeah, it does does have a, yeah, it. Yeah, has that has that energy, and then it it does flip into something that's slightly more edgy um, and and yeah, hectic at times, and then, yeah I mean we've already discussed um, with uh, Eric about the 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 um, the big fight scene in the house yes and uh, the Dominican Republic H- How is that for you to approach because they shot that sequence for quite a long time if I, if yeah. I recall how was how that sort of coming into that as a first eyes <clears throat> Well, I was cutting that very closely to Dave as he was shooting, mm. so
0: at the end of a shoot day for him, I think they were breaking off at lunchtime and feeding us stuff, so I was editing kind of as he was shooting. Um, so he, in the in the morning of his next shoot day, he got to see everything cut that he just shot. And it, so he did a lot of pickups as he went, and he went back and got certain things mm-hmm. again. That's why, so that was an intense kind of 10, 12 days. I think it was a 10 day shoot. I can't recall. Yeah, that's how um, right. Yeah. But in order to sort of see, be just this beat behind him with editing. Like it was, that scene was pretty much put together as soon as he finished cutting it, shooting it, sorry. um, So that he had the knowledge to know what he needed to pick up mm. or not. Uh, I think it was a challenging thing for him to shoot Um, making it. I, I like it because of the humor. It's, it's, it's brutal. Yeah. But there's so many um little enjoyable beats in it. I think, to help you digest it. Yeah. And it's the, the pacing of it so that it comes with pauses. Firstly, the big, long taffy pull before it starts, the slow creep in. Yes. yeah, with, with your antiques Dogs. roadshow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that makes, like, once it kicks off, all the more fun because you get to go from zero to 100. Um, but then you get these little sort of, you know, glass bong to the face fun
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh then the, and then the big, guy's still standing. Yeah, yeah the big brack back
0: break. Yeah. Uh then you get that sort of pause as they're slowly starting to get back up again. But then the I call the Indiana Jones beat where he you think he's reaching for a weapon, a knife, and he gets a cheese grater. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was, a, yeah, that, like you, you that, was the, that was real, that was funny that you feel really... the relief of the audience <laughs> yeah for that yeah you, that. you really do because
4: i mean this this guy is so menacing that, yes. that he's fighting and, yeah. and you you know you, he <laughs> you needs something like really heavy duty because the guy's not stopping and he just comes out with this cheese grazer yes it was in, a great it was a great moment and it
0: well, yeah. when you're watching as a big collective in a cinema it's like yeah. this sort of, there were a few laughs yeah everybody get, gets to relax their sphincters for a yeah. second <laughs> and <laughs> and then you kinda you know, then you think the whole thing's over and it's cue pitbull. Yeah. So that's it's the choreography of it that I think that makes that enjoyable for me to watch, that it doesn't just come at you like a machine gun. Mm. It is it is um it's orchestrated, you know, like a
4: bit of a ballet. Were there any sequences other than that that you found difficult all uh, of them would be well, difficult yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe you got stuck or you know the both of you had to really like work through some some different ideas to how you'd envisioned it um hodges was very difficult the the demise of the lo- the lawyer um, oh yeah yeah okay
0: because there's a there's a bit of
4: it's very precise
0: like what, yeah what there's a bit of, in of morality the in there it's yeah. like you you kind of it's not. I mean, I don't think Dave loses sleep over the right and wrong of it all. But if you hold on certain th- that scene was delicate. It, if you if you're sort of marinating in a person that can't breathe because they're they've had nail guns to the lungs, yeah, it, it just becomes a bit unfair on an audience. Yeah, um, and it's the same sort of thing with Dolores. It's like yeah. like, do you want to come across as a person that's pulling wings off a fly yeah um so it had to kind of be done quite curtly you had to just show just enough to not lose everyone yeah um that was the, that was very very delicate the, the the scene with tilda at the end that what i call the last supper
4: yes um, oh i mean that's that was another topic i mean just just to finish that that previous scene because I mean, was that part of it? Was it was it playing on, you know, maybe a more lighter or because because my Michael Fassbender has a moment when he he thinks he's done the calculations wrong because, you know, in theory, this guy might survive, you know, with the time and there might be enough time for him to get to emergency services. Was that like was that quite an important part was was finding that lightness in the scene? I think looking for lightness in
0: all of this sort of subject matter yes. is something that that you're looking for. Yeah. Like his little, oh shit, yeah, yeah. When yeah. he's, not, you know, and there's we've got, yeah, probably I don't know, eighteen between all the different angles, yeah. eighteen different wow. shits that we yeah. can go through, oh, yeah, yeah. and then we'll revoice it for another like six or seven to choose from, yeah. So it is, you know, everything's considered of how to present information, yeah. and it's to you know, it's a little bit of sugar to make the medicine go
4: down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so go back to the, the Tilda scene, because that's- That yeah, was right. one of the most challenging to do. Okay. Um, so talk, talk us through that. Yeah, It's like Tilda's
0: incredible. I think and it's hard to say Tilda's name without whoever you're talking to go, oh my God, she's amazing. She's incredible. Like, yeah. She's just become a, a, a filmmaking treasure. Yeah. Um, and she's excellent in it. But the scene was almost, I don't know if I'm exaggerating to say that it was almost twice the length in mm. its original- intention uh and it f- felt I want to be fair about all these things we were picking on it when we first put it together we were picking on it and i think that comes from like tilda was terrific from beginning to end as it was written um but because the nature of the killer not saying a lot or doing a lot yeah. or being um you know impenetrable yeah, c- yeah.
4: You, it, can only, you can it, only tolerate that so long.
0: Well, there's not much for him to bounce up, like no. for her to bounce off. She's so yeah. having this one-way conversation. Yeah. He answers once or twice. So the, the meter of the scene or, or how it worked really became not what Tilda was doing, but what he was doing. Mm. And I knew I've had certain tent poles, perhaps, or certain ways to sort of prop it up. Like, the, you know, when he sort of, there's his lines of, you know, desperate for conversation. Yeah. Like, boom, that's definitely happening. Yeah. There's- his judgment when she brings up, um, the how his g- girlfriend was hurt, yeah, and then you see him sort of harden, yeah, but these like little micro movements yeah. that he gives, you sort of go, oh, We definitely need that one, we definitely need that one. And but towards the beginning of the scene, when he's just flat yeah. playing flat and hard, yeah, she had twice as many lines and twice as much yeah. story and he's offering nothing yes so i had to sort of start going through it going okay can we live without her saying this yeah. can we live without
4: her saying that and and the scene needed to be built around yeah. what he offers so yes. that it's not inert yeah that makes that makes so much sense because it, it is i mean what makes the scene compelling is the fact that he isn't giving anything yeah and you're you're so desperate you're really on her side you're like you know have the have a have a mouthful of this delicious food uh have a have a whiskey or or whatever and and when he does finally do it it is enormously satisfying but you're also on the edge like i I don't think you could suffer much more of his indifference so it's so it's it's very well
0: it's it's it takes discipline to do that because tilda's so enjoyable yeah and when you kind of (laughs) when you throw away a line of like like throwing away caviar yeah, yeah you know it's like how did you find me And he doesn't answer. That's not in there anymore. But these things, they they worked. It was all good. But you just sort of had to, um, you know, start chopping off fingers for the greater good.
4: Mm. So how did you start your collaboration with uh, David? What was the first project you? Uh, I got brought on to help on uh, Zodiac. Okay, yeah.
0: um, Which was just as an additional editor. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that was... I probably kind of worked on about twenty minutes of screen content in, okay. in that movie. Um and I just, you know, made myself on such a low pay scale that uh it wasn't a hardship for David to keep me hanging around.
4: Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 what what was it that sort of led to your eventual becoming like, you know, editor on some of his movies as like the main editor? How did you go from that to that? Um
0: well you get invited. You yeah. Know? And then it's 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 such an honor or a privilege to be able to get of to course. work with them that I make myself always available. Yeah, uh, that's the the main thing. And also, I I I will always um, live up to. Well, that's again, that's for other people to judge. But uh, there's no complacency on my side because we've done a lot of things together. No. I I still um, operate with the same level of paranoia that I did from our very first times working together that that you know i think filmmaking in general there is no platform to rest on you don't kind of get to go i did all those other things i'm just going to coast through this one and let the assistant do it you you got to perform and you got to you're going to be judged on what you do uh and i'm i make sure i don't put david in a position to um harshly judge me
4: do do you do you feel like there's anything any one thing in particular that you've really gained experience wise or knowledge from working with him on all these films um i think just a willingness to
0: explore mm. and not to be in a rush to be done
4: yeah brilliant yeah. fantastic it's been a really nice chat um best of luck with the movie and uh, yeah enjoy your time in london thank you so much that was a lot of fun
3: that, ah, that was enjoyable. That really was enjoyable. <laughs> Almost too enjoyable. Do you know what? We, it was. Do you know what was really interesting was where he was talking about? You know, Fincher's waiting. He's literally holding the set up until um, Kirk has delivered <laughs> a cut of the film before they could move forward or cut of a scene. How amazing. How amazing is that. Wonderful.
4: Imagine the pressure of of, of <laughs> you know, like a full set of like feature professionals, actors, yeah, him mm-hmm. the set the set department. Like everyone's just holding these like ludicrously expensive locations because you haven't you know, because you've basically gotta edit the thing and, and he's gotta be happy with what he sees before he moves on. I mean that's a it's a lot of trust, um and it's a it's a sign of a sort of a yeah, a good a very good sort of Collaboration that he he places that much faith in his in his edit, and and also that he, you know, he wants to. There's a responsibility there in a way. Actually, he, he, it sounds slightly extravagant, but actually he's avoiding doing any pickups, and he's making mm. sure that while he's got everyone there, he, he gets it in the bag. So it's a, it's a good um, good ethos really.
3: Fascinating, fascinating must be to work with Fincher. I mean, we're getting an insight here, real one, um, for you, and just yeah. to work with you know a yeah. genius filmmaker as yeah, much yeah. as people might point down in some way i don't know why you would but i think he's you know it's fantastic filmmaking you can't help but look at it and go oh it's just so good and thought out and clever Mm. and interesting uh and interesting we haven't mentioned that the killer is actually based on a graphic novel Mm. series called the killer um which was uh, illustrated by andrew kevin walker we have mentioned Um, it now Okay, let's get to our final guest. Who is it, Dom? It is sound designer, Ren Kleiss. Yeah. Now, um, his credits, obviously, include... He goes back a tiny bit further. Credits him. Um, (laughs) Credits him. uh, Working with Fincher, the first one that he worked with him on, was Seven. Yep. Then he did The Game. Yep fight club that was the next movie he made with fincher then panic room and then zodiac curious case of benjamin button a social network girl with a dragon tattoo gone girl mank and of course uh, the killer his other other credits uh, include because we got to mention these as well of course uh, include being john malkovich finding neverland where the wild things are i'm here are you Incredibles 2, the list goes on, Story, Toy Story 4, Knives Out, Your list goes uh, Turning Red, Top Gun Maverick, <laughs> Spider-Head, Elemental, yeah. Hey, look, this guy's a legend, Oscar-winning hero, uh, and Dom got to talk with Ren. Kleiss, all about his life as a sound designer. What he, did he got to talk, talk with me. about, Dom? <laughs> yeah, yes, more importantly, I think he was more impressed by that. <laughs> what will our roughly. audience learn? Yeah, yeah.
4: They will learn about how David likes to start that sound design straight away, where he finds sounds, um, sounds of the city and
3: collecting foley. You also talked about how sound mixers and sound recorders share sounds amongst themselves. They've probably got a WhatsApp group and they go, hey, um, I need a sound That's for a this sound or that, itself. and they share <laughs> And they soundbite for you, and they—they're uh, probably you know if someone's got a New York alley they've just been to, they will send it because they need it for yeah. this one. I love that. Yeah. How if you need, cool If you is need that? like a um, you
4: know a narwhal giving birth, then you've got it. Someone mm. someone's got that. Which ring up Attenborough. Which
3: means that the, the, the <laughs> sounds from the killer could also have been in Elemental and Lightyear and Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah. He also talked about create, creating tension in sound. How you do that and defining tone with the director. And um, so this is uh, Ren Kleiss talking with Dom Lemoir about The Killer. We'll see you at the other side of this. Oh, oh you're so lucky. We treat you well. We do.
4: Hi, Dom. Yeah, hi. How are you doing?
3: So, uh,
4: yeah, I mean, you're, you're, your movie's in the LFF. You're in London. How are you feeling?
1: I'm really, really excited and really happy to be here and really honoured to be here because... um normally I don't get invited to these types of things and um and that's fine, you know, but um you know, because of the strikes. Yeah. Um someone had the thought, like, well let's get the below the line team to fill in, if you will. So Mm -hmm. um so we're fully aware of why, but it's also at the same time it's it's really nice, you know.
4: Well, it's great. And, and I mean, we're a, we're a filmmaking podcast. So right. we, we, we've, we thoroughly appreciate that you know, every person in the, the crew, the post-production has such a big impact. Um, and, and especially on, on you know, David Fincher's film, sound is such a, a massive part of the overall experience. Um, so it's, it's great to have you here. Oh, Pleasure to be here. So, so um, yeah, talk, talk us through your, your first sort of um, engagement in this film and, and how, it, how it begun for you.
1: Sure. Yes, um, David Fincher um, told me about the film that he was going to make, and and um, so I had known that it was on on its way to reality. You know, these um, there's a lot of irons in the fire, if you will. Like he's always trying to have something start. He and, and his producer Sion Chafin, and um, who's also his wife. So there's always, I'm privy to a little bit of like I'm trying to get this started, I'm trying to get that started. That's gonna go. That's not gonna go. You know, these are the, the way that the, uh, films kind of, yeah, of course, uh, are bo- born. Yeah, and so you know, this one's gonna happen. In my, or may not. And then, it, of course, it it it, uh, it it was happening. And so, um, my first involvement was just you know he had a rough he starts he started to of course he had was filming and then there's a, a rough assembly that kirk hmm. started to put together so david would send me this assembly and it's always start thinking about this get started on that you know yeah. and um what i love is uh, you know is that he wants everybody to get started as much as possible and what i've learned that's so great is that and it's sort of like a motto of ours now, which is, you know, people say, do you want to do this now or do you want to do it later? And I always say, let's do it now because we're never going to get this time back. Mm. You know, and it, ultimately it comes down to time, yeah. how much time you have. And, you know, people appreciate beautiful cinematography. They appreciate beautiful music, costumes, all those things take time to create and um the more time you have i think the better and it's the same case with with the sound design and the more time you have to 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 think about it to record sounds to collect sounds to collate them to curate them to create a library to then start editing and collaging and mixing and the more time we have to have that process the better, so David's always very anxious, you know. Yeah, get started on the ambience, yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing.
4: Do, do you do you read the scripts in advance or so? Yeah, so you, yes. What was your first sort of impression on on this one from it a, was, from a sound perspective?
1: You know, it was really hard because it, there's so much of it was voiceover narration, yeah, yeah. and of course that narration has largely changed throughout the process. It's the timbre and tone of it is similar, but you know, I think as David Fincher and, and Andy Kevin Walker, particularly David, of course, because he's he's on the film and he dispatches Andy like, hey, we need some dialogue for this or and Andy will provide those things for him. But um, when reading it largely was different. So it was. A, the the setups were there and the locations were there, but the feeling of it was much Harder to imagine, mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, it's usually when I read something I can imagine it, you know. Yeah. And David is, by the way, he can read a script like nobody's business. He could, he's like a speed reader. I'm the exact opposite. I have to like read it, and I kind of. I'm taking notes. Yeah. Then I have to, this character have to imagine it being a person. I, it, it takes me forever, but I really invest in in reading the script, so I get a sense of it and and the place and the environment and so forth. So yeah, so that's usually uh, something I'm privy to, which is great.
4: So how how did you develop the mood with those discussions with him uh, on, on this one?
1: Uh, it was largely picture driven and David driven. Um, he he really wanted. Um, to establish the environments early on, and have you, you've seen the film mm-hmm. clearly, so you know the, the Paris sequence is an opening moment. Um, you, it's not filmed visually in a way that says Paris, no, and so no shots of the Eiffel Tower. There are no, uh, you know, you know that what I would maybe call cliche visuals. Yes, there's none of that. And David, yeah. you know, he, traditionally he. When he made the game, uh, for example, that was filmed in San Francisco. There are no shots of the Golden Gate Bridge, mm. none of that. So he did – and, of course, he, he doesn't want to state the obvious visually. But so to compensate, the sound had to kind of give the sense of Paris. So the church bells, the the the, the sound of the voices, the shops opening up, the sirens mm. being French – all of those things have to be sort of introduced without being overwhelming. Overwhelming, yeah. yeah. So there, a lot of a lot of curating went into the, collecting those sounds and um, and finding them. Uh, there's sounds what I call specifics. There's beds of ambiences. and then there are these little specific little jewels of sound that burst in and out. Yeah. And those little specifics are a lot of thought goes into them, and you don't know how to. Either those have to be created, or you have to fabricate them out of something else, and so that that is sort of the first step of creating a, the soundtrack.
4: And I suppose it's it's very important from you know that point in the story to not set it as the kind of you know creative hub, artsy, romantic, um, you know, Paris, because we are basically watching a hitman preparing for a hit. So it needs to be cold and clinical. But obviously, you do need to inject it to the city. So I, I think yes. it, I think it worked very well and. It does very much set the tone for who he is, um, and, and then obviously it does develop as you go into different different cities, Dominican Republic. So, so how did how did it change as you sort of went into into other locations? Because it does have quite a few <clears throat> very different soundscapes, doesn't it?
1: Yes, and you know, um, we our sound team, uh, Drew and uh, Michael. Drew Coonan and Michael Primer, um, were there on location collecting sounds. Largely, we ended up not using those sounds and, and um, because David wanted to, he really wanted to foley uh, the film completely. But the things that they, obviously, we collected the, the the dialogue of Tilda and and of course um, the few lines that Fassbender says on camera. Yeah. Um, but they would collect sounds f- for us. Um, we would go out and record. And it was just one of those things, again, just you know, trying to find those bits and pieces um, for each location uh, to make them sound. Okay, now we're in the Dominican Republic. It's a developing country. You know, The sounds of the motor cars are very different than f- France. Yeah. Those types of colors and specifics are noises that you just hear if you happen to go to Mexico they, or, or you go to, to India. The, these sounds are... Uh, you
4: know very defining the
1: yeah. very defining polluting yeah. sounds you know yeah. to the environment you know you can so you want to give that sense of oh my goodness i can smell the diesel
4: yeah um so just talking about how the the sound i mean we've talked about how some of the immersive sound because you also do um just, just before we move on you also do re-recording as well is that right because i've i've seen that on a few of your credits with mm-hmm. so is that is that part of this process you go You go or someone else goes out to capture specific flavors that uh, you and David have discussed. Okay, it needs this. Were there any ones specifically for this that you could think of that needed that you felt needed sort of that extra bit of Foley after the shoot?
1: Well, the the Foley we do to picture, and we have a team that does the the specifically to picture. Yeah. For each location, Sion and David. had a local crew so there's a, a local french crew so they collected the 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 church bells for us drew and uh, was and and michael were in in um, dr so they they went into the various cities and collected some sounds and then of course then we had to like rely on our own sounds of uh, you know that we've recruited through the many years and so there's a lot of cheating yeah cool. and i hear some sounds from a different Project that we'd never use that are in mexico that that'll work here, you know yeah, so there's brilliant. and then um one of the the interesting sort of nomadic qualities of of the sound community is that we share, so there might be a friend who oh, I went to such and such a city, and i, I you know and, oh I did, so nice, is there yeah. any do you have a little moped bu- sound i that I can borrow or, yeah, yeah sure you know so so we we rely on on a collect sort of a collection of sounds, but nonetheless they take time to create the in the pair sequence for example that uh, mobilette or the vespa that he escapes on for example mm. that's a gasoline in reality it's gas but i asked david i said just making sure that's what you want is gas or do you want it to be electric because i know vespa now has yeah the electric and it also sh- it shows when we are in time yeah. I mean, obviously it's got an iphone type device but and he, David's like, let's make it electric. Yeah. So that sound is made out of a completely different sound set of sounds. I have nothing to do with electric yeah. vehicle. They were recorded for another project. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, but uh, one was a, a race uh, um, Formula E race cars that I recorded mm. for a documentary, and the other was a collection of Tesla sounds that we recorded for another project. So those two were blended. Mm. So there's a lot of those types of. Uh,
4: and it's it's a Efforts. great suggestion as well because it it feeds into story and character to me. Um, you know, it fits in with the sort of slightly more plush, you know, world that we've created for Paris. It fits in with this sort of clean, meticulous killer. So it's uh, it's it's great that you're kind of adding these things that are congruent with the storyline. I, I suppose that's that's part of your collaboration, isn't it? Being on the same page with these things.
1: Yes, and it's what's really fun is that. David really likes a sense of density and detail. Yes. And you can see that visually in his lighting with with Eric and Eric's team. You can get a sense of it with costume, certainly, um, music, and sound. And all of these elements that are coalescing into the visual and audio um, final of the film are these many layers of thought you know mm-hmm. and so uh yeah he's pushing for that you know some films um filmmakers they they don't want to get in the way they they love their dialogue they love what's written on script and they don't want to fill in noises to detract from dialogue right and so there's if you watch some film and there's nothing wrong with that just a style that's just an aesthetic decision but you know in the scene with tilda swinton and and fast when he comes into the restaurant late at night and grabs the gun out of her purse and they're closing. There's a whole design of what's happening in the track of the sound that's happening there where she goes to dinner late. He arrives and... There are a few stragglers in the restaurant, but they're slowly leaving. The door to the kitchen is constantly opening and closing, and that builds tension. Mm. Every time the door flies open, you hear the voices oh, yeah. of the yeah, kitchen and laughing and whatnot and shut. And that sound is sort of like freedom, you know, because it's Tilda's, yeah, there's room. a door I can leave, but yeah. she can't leave, and she knows she's going to be killed. So, yeah. But as that sequence continues, it gets sparser and sparser and more quiet and more quiet. And the loud kitchen staff become more comfortable knowing they don't have to be quiet anymore yeah. because they're cleaning up. And the one lone waiter is like patiently waiting for her to leave. And she, what's she going to do? All she can do is order a lot of alcohol and and, mm. and drink. So David's soundtrack's point being is that there's a lot of distracting elements visually and sonically that create tension and that's what he wants to i think convey to his audience He's, he did yeah. it at the beginning of uh, social network the very opening sequence um where mark zuckerberg's character meets the girlfriend at the bar david didn't he wanted to push the sound so loud that you couldn't hear what they were saying which is very frustrating yeah. for the audience but what it does is it trains the audience this is what you're going to expect this is what the ride is all about right so David is teaching his audience, pay attention. Yeah. I'm not going to make it easy for you. Yeah.
4: I think, I think it's a fascinating thing about, I mean, people don't, I think it's a common misconception. I think if, if you make films at a good level, you understand that sound is so vitally important. But I think a lot of people don't think about sound in terms of narrative beats as much as they do visually. And I think David Fincher is like an example and, and your collaboration, obviously, where there can be so much in the story um, that 's created by these these arcs that that actually sometimes are often sub perceptual that are influencing you and making you feel without you consciously being aware of and that that example uh, is fascinating i 'd like to talk a, a little bit about how the relationship in this film um between the composed music side and well i mean a lot of, a lot of it 's the smith's soundtrack um and and what you 're doing with the soundscape to create mood and feeling and tension outside of the the sort of natural diegetic sound sure um yeah there's a there was
1: something that kirk and david discovered which was sort of a rule which was um, when we are looking through the killer's eyes if he's looking through the scope for example um should we hear voiceover should we not hear voiceover what is, where do we, where do we, how do we define that? Um, and they came up with an idea that we should always be looking at Fassbender to hear him speak. But if we're looking through his eyes, then we don't hear him speak. Hmm. And that was an interesting rule. So that oh, set okay. up, that set up a, okay, that's interesting. <clears throat> that set up an interesting framework of vertical. Sound, edit, sound milestones, if you will. So, yeah. so you know, if, you've got
4: very clear, defined gaps. Yeah,
1: and so that then affected the sound. So then when Fassbender is speaking and you see him pulling out his iPad, iPod and puts in only one earbud into his ear and scrolls down on his playlist and finds the playlist of the Smiths, clicks play, when we're looking at him, we are hearing the Smiths as if you would hear me playing the Smiths very loudly out of a tinny little iPod. Yeah. Very
4: Yeah.
1: But then when we are looking through his eyes, it's full bandwidth. Hmm. But then what's even more what was more interesting further was that um David then goes, Ren, what are you doing with the music? You know, is the music left and right? And I said, Yes, it's left and right. He goes, Well, shouldn't it just be out of his right ear? Because we're looking through his eyes. Shouldn't we just play the music only out of the ah, right? Okay. Yeah. And so I said, I think that's a bad idea, David. And he, and he looked at me like, <laughs> come on, right? And so I said, okay, let me do it. And I, I, I must admit, my instinct was that, oh, let's not do this. Because yeah. it's going to be weird to have the music coming out of the right speaker. It's going to confuse people. Yeah. And I said, and we're going to get Netflix to throw, kick back the mix. Yeah. Like the music is missing out of the yeah. left channel. And of course, I was just wrong because he you know he was right so i did it and and uh and so but that again teaches the audience Mm. like okay now i'm list, i'm looking through his eyes and the music's really loud as if you're Mm. hearing the smiths but it's only coming out of the right channel Mm. and then when we cut back to looking at him then we're hearing it small so those mark yeah those points
4: that's the kind of structure yeah
1: exactly it created sort of a framework
4: and then about the sort of the feeling and the mood because there's there's some i can't know i can't sort of say exactly what the the sound is I'm thinking of, but as, as things get tenser, sort of the mid, you know, end end of the film, there's there is these ominous soundscapes that start to come in. Um, was that because that also informs the tone, doesn't it, of the film? And we sort of talked about at the start, like defining that tone. How, how did you get to that um, understanding between the two of you?
1: Well, so, I, I think I'm not quite sure what exactly moment you're speaking of, but I think what you're describing is when Trent and Atticus's score starts to come in and out. And um there was the original mix had of course a, an opening main title which they composed and then that evaporates very quickly when we were in Paris. <clears throat> and then we hear Smiths and Smiths and Smiths. And then the first cue, which we it was interesting because um normally David doesn't want to put music in and the composer does want to put music in, yeah. but in this particular instance, there's a when the, the the uh the killer is talking, and all of a sudden he hears the beep 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 beep, and the door opens up yeah. uh there's a piece of music there that that's yeah. Atticus and Trent's score that comes in and goes, yeah, and that was designed by the that was that was a decision a, you know a global decision, but then the next cue when the killer wakes up. And he does not notice that they actually the the the, the lights have t- finally at last turned on, uh, and he the 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 uh, target has arrived. There's a cue that s- started there, um, but that wasn't always there. It was go- it was just sound, and so I f- felt that we needed a piece of music there. And David thought we needed a piece of music there. Trent and Atticus didn't want a piece of music there, which is odd because you'd think it'd be yeah, the, other the other way right, around. Yeah. And so they, the, we had sort of tempted in a, a rough track that they had provided yeah. from early days, as sort of like a yeah. "will this do" type thing, and um, and that ended up being in the film, and it, I think it was good yeah. that that we put it in. Then they had these beautiful tones, and what's so fun about mixing their music and having them as collaborators is that sonically, oftentimes what they give us as music is can be very strange. Mm. You know, it's not a cello no, or no, string no. Yeah. section or brass. It's uh, a noise, mm. you know what I mean? And so they came up with these strange noises that were very low and kind of – uneasy and i think that's probably what you're you're speaking yeah
4: of. and i think yeah. it, i think it does it, it blends very well with with the soundscape as well right it's 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 almost seamless you don't get a feeling of um yeah the, the one between the other and the, and right. the divide It's it did very much uh, just as a, as a last question as, as we've got to wrap up was it you've worked with david for a while now um what what were some of the differences? I mean, one of my favorite ones is the game. Um, I mean, that that's just you know, there's so few movies that like that that surprise you all, all the way through. What were some of the differences? Maybe just a, a you know a quick quick answer of of working with him on that versus what you've learnt um, working on the sort of recent projects.
1: Yeah, sure. The game was um, was sort of an exercise in 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 constraint. Coming off of Seven, which was very cacophonous and and oppressive and gritty and dirty. uh, Because the characters were living in a very decrepit place. Somerset's character, Brad Pitt's character. Mm. They were all in this terrible grungy city that smelled bad and people were taking drugs. By contrast, the game was... A story of a very wealthy man, Nicholas Van Orton, living in a pristine mansion. So it was very clean. So that was an exercise in sort of like, whatever posh would be or whatever clean. So everything in that was expensive sounding, Mm -hmm. you know, the teacups, the the doors, everything was like, pretty, you know. So from the game to this film with the killer, we were kind of going back to the original roots of the, the, a the, little grit the bit of, a bit of grime and
4: grit grime yeah. and grit yeah. yes brilliant okay uh, well thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure and best of luck with the film thank you so much That's nice to meet you
3: wow Whoa. that was three, three amazing amazing collaborators with David Fincher talking about the Fincher process and their process to get incredible movies made mm. wow yep. wow I hope you enjoyed that I really do if you did tell everyone and also tell us uh, at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter. Tell Fincher. At uh, Filmmakers Podcast tell on Instagram. Tell Fincher to come on the podcast yeah. next time he's yeah. making a feature. So, I saw so him
4: outside when we um, were doing the interviews.
3: Oh, did you? Yeah. Was he there? But yeah, yeah, yeah. You he didn't he, drag he, him in. He, he, well,.
4: <laughs> it was. It was at the Ham Yard, and he was like, he was outside, and there was like fifteen tables outside. and He was the only person outside of the table, so so it wasn't like I could just sort of sit yeah. down next to a, order a cup of tea, like say hello on the way to my table. Like, would have been like the most obvious uh, deployment in in. Her. It would have been
3: the best thing. So he was sat on his own. No, nah, no, he was, he was, he was, he was with, with
4: he was he was in a meeting. He had some.
3: Let, oh, let okay. Finch do
4: Finch. He's probably. Probably yeah. prepping for his premiere or something.
3: Yeah, you know. <laughs> Thing is, you probably would have wanted uh, a oh, shit ton to of takes from you. anyway. not He got. No. Oh, you're the filmmakers podcast guys. <laughs> I'm too nervous to come on your <laughs> show. Uh, yeah, but but I'm really glad because we've got this amazing yeah. team that we wouldn't have got. I loved it
4: I mean to be fair we've we probably learned just as much about Fincher from his HODs as we would from speaking to Fincher because uh, you know we, we, you yes. do really this is very much an episode that you learn all those tips that he yeah. straight from the horse's mouth yes
3: straight from the, the killer's mouth Yeah. which is out now by the way on Netflix mm. watch it watch it you will not be disappointed unless you're one of these crazy Fincher buffs who goes yeah but it wasn't as good as
4: wasn't as good as Up the game it's
3: brilliant <laughs> up yours Dom Uh, (laughs) uh, so yes it's out now go watch it next week we have for you Business of Film we are back with Stephen Follows Dom Lemoir, Phil Hawkins and myself Charles Alderson joining you For an amazing chat about issues in the film industry right now, about the SAG strike, about AI, what's happening there. Um, And and also, Stephen asked some amazing questions uh, that we have to answer. And as always, it's fantastic. And as always, there is a winner. And I can probably give you a spoiler now, it wasn't done. So that is for you next week. Budgets of movies on The Business of Film 5 next week. We'll see you Tuesday. For more thank you for making knowledge yeah take care Bye-bye. bye bye <laughs> bye maybe not use
4: that one <laughs> bye use
0: that one <laughs> <laughs>
3: that was a better bye <laughs> I'm going to use both are we done <laughs> are we done here <laughs> yes we're done here